Sasha. Hey, Courtney. Where do ghosts like to go sailing? I don't know. Where? On Lake Erie, of course. Bah. And there's probably lighthouses. And it's eerie. And there's a, it's a nautical it's enterprise. Spoop uh, hour. That's what this hour. is. We're a paranormal comedy podcast hosted by two Halloweenies. This is Sasha. This is Courtney. And a little crab. I have a tiny little crab who's just going to hang out with us for recording. This is Queen yes. Crab. Queen Crab is... that the is... one that I got you from... It sure Otacon. is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so as always, listeners, you can find us on social media at, at Spoop Hour on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram is great because Courtney f- keeps it chock full of visuals for our non-visual medium podcast. What's that? You like visual content? Well, maybe you should come check us out on the Instagrams. But and I then, don't have an Instagrams, Courtney. Doesn't matter. You can still look at it. Just look at it. Just look at it. It's fine. That's fine. And then send us spooky stories mm-hmm. or whatever queries show topics, whatever, to our email, spoophour at gmail.com. We love to hear from our fans we and sure our do. listeners and our haters. Well, no, not oh, so much the haters. I mean, we've never been contacted by a we've hater. We've actually never been contacted by a hater. Although someone did respond to one of our episodes and they just said something like utter nonsense. And I wasn't sure if they were like adding, because like, I think it was like sp- on our spirit photography episode or on one of the things where we were talking about psychics oh. and they were just like utter nonsense. And I'm like, are you saying like the topic we're covering is utter nonsense or are we utter? And then I just ignored it because I was like, I don't understand. I don't and have I enough time it, like, for this. Super late. I saw it like four days after it happened. So I was like, I just, I just. Yeah, can't. at this point, it's like, there's who no. Who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck? I sure don't. <laughs> anyway, did anything spooky happen to you this week? <laughs> yes. Yeah, something truly spooky happened this week, and I had to text you when it happened so I'd remember that it happened. You I'm did, still, but you told me nothing. You just said I'm something I'm still relatively unsettled by it. Happened. So we adopted a cat last Friday, Yes. and I left her for the night to go to the Oddities Expo, and then I came home, and I've loved on her forever. There was one day Jack and I went to... It was Monday. I was home... Or Tuesday. I was home, and mm-hmm. so the two of us went and ran some errands in the morning, and then oh, we went to vote. That's what it was. We went to vote because voting is good. Hope and we voted. came home. Yeah, you better have voted. Virginia, lots of good things be, happened. We're going to be real mad at you if you didn't yeah. vote. Not so really. Maybe, if there was, if yeah. you had a legitimate reason for not voting, like you couldn't get if off work or whatever, you were sick or something. If your locality just like straight up didn't have an election. We're not <laughs> mad at you anymore. We're not mad at you. <laughs> so we went voting and then we came home and the cat was out. And there was also this... On our floor, and I'm showing Courtney. Okay, I think. so it's like Can a chewed up blue and yellow tennis tennis ball, ball with a hole in it. So like, what did maybe you do the to kind, that hole? Like that, maybe you'd like put a treat in, yeah, and then like shake it out, and then it would come out. Or but, like you, you would tie a rope through it, and it would have um, like a oh, rope. Oh yeah, yeah, like a th- yeah for you for can dogs, tell like, I grew up with dogs. Listeners. Yeah, you. <laughs> I I don't. I didn't grow up with dogs, so yeah, it makes sense that a rope would go through it, and then they would you know pull on it, right? Yeah. So. So this is on our living room floor, and Mona was just, like, going at it, like, fighting it and, like, really hyped up and excited about it. And we were like, huh, what is that? And we were staring at it, and we were like, did you get that for her? Like, no, (laughs) did you get it for her? No, it's really beaten up. Like, what is it? And we both had friends over in the last few days, Mm -hmm. and we're like, okay, well, did Julia bring it? It's like... No, I texted her and she's like, I don't know what that is. And then Brad didn't bring it. And we were like, okay, this is weird. And so for like a good 15 minutes, we thought someone had been in our house and like brought an old dog toy for our cat. And finally, we were able to like convince ourselves that this was probably like next to the fridge, like in the little crevice that we can't get into. Uh, But that maybe our cat could get into. Yeah. 
as far as we know, the previous owners didn't have pets, but... Maybe they had a ghost dog. Maybe they had a ghost dog. Maybe also... Remember that Tumbling Loco, the train that we found in our attic? Yes, it could have been that too, but... Yeah, so there the was ghost a- child is diversifying its interests? Yeah. That's exciting. It had a dog. Yeah, so yeah. for a, a good little while, it was that, like... You know, some you have that fear of someone, like, being in the attic... Yes. It was definitely like, where the fuck would be would they be hiding, like, in our house? <laughs> we don't have a basement. We have, like, a tiny attic that's really just a crawl that's where space. where they are. And, like, when my brother came over to do, like, clean my gutters a few weeks ago when I was sick, I could hear him on the roof, like, walking around. So I was like, okay, if someone's in our attic, we definitely would have heard them. Yeah. But it was just like, <laughs> where, where did you get this toy? How did you get this? Like, she's like a new presence. And we were like, are you... Are you a demon? <laughs> like, are you a ghost? She's Did like, you? no, I just summon toys. It's fine. Yeah, Don't how worry about you? it. So that was a spooky thing that happened to me this week. That was like, really unsettling. Another nice. thing that was a little less spooky but surprised me, nevertheless, was every day having a cat and like <laughs> falling asleep on the couch and not being used to a thing jumping on me while I'm sleeping oh, on the couch. Yeah. You get yeah. used to that. Yeah, n- I'm getting. Yeah. So how about you? Tell me about the spooky shit that happened to you this week. So the first thing, it's not super spooky mm-hmm. or spooky, really. It was just like a weird coincidence. So I went and voted on Tuesday and I stayed home from work and I was working from home because I woke up and I my stomach didn't feel great. And I was like, oh, huh, I must have eaten something that didn't agree with me because this is not this is not a good time for me. Mm-hmm. And then I went and voted and your dad was the volunteer at my election, mm-hmm. which was fine. But yeah. like I was having a really hard time, like understanding him as he was talking to me. And I was just, like, trying to keep my shit together because I didn't feel good, but I just thought it was, like, food poisoning or something. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I turned out to be voter number 100. By my best guess, my temperature at that point during the election was probably around 100. I ended up getting up to about 102. Oh, God. Which I run a little cold, so that's a really bad fever for me. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, it turns out I had the flu. But it was just a spooky, the day our 100th episode dropped, mm-hmm. I was voting voter number 100 and i had a temperature of over 100 so triple hundred triple hundo and also low-key boiled my brain still not super on top of it but my fever's gone so everybody can suck my dick anyway the legitimately spooky thing that happened to me other than having the flu and like (laughs) boiling myself on friday thursday night i had a dream that i was watching riverdale slash living (laughs) an episode of riverdale like so I took, I took that as a cosmic sign that I should watch the new season of Riverdale. So Hell Friday yeah. I was like settling in and I was like, I'm going to watch this new season of Riverdale. Let's fucking do it. So I put in the first one and they're like, oh, Luke Perry died. This is a very sad episode. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I hear this noise and it's this horrible fucking sound. And I at first I thought, oh my God, there's a dog outside that has gotten stuck on something or somebody's hurting a dog because it sounded like a dog in pain. And I'm like, fuck so i like hit pause on riverdale and i like listen there's no sound there's no sound and i'm like okay well that was just a weird maybe it was some weird background noise on riverdale Mm -hmm. and i didn't you know whatever i missed the context and so i hit play again and they're like oh luke perry's dead he got he was saving a lady on the side of the road whatever Mm -hmm. and then i hear the noise again so i like hit pause the horrible screaming and it's going on and it's going on and at this point it went on for about three minutes and i text our mysterious third roommate and again, I boiled my brain this week. I was not yeah. my sharpest. Mm-mm. So it's fine. Text our mysterious third roommate. And I'm like, do you hear that dog noise? Is everything okay? Because like our backyard is pitch black. And it's just woods. It's just woods. So I couldn't see anything. So I'm like trying to yeah. see, if, is there a person with their dog? Did their dog get stuck in something or fall? Is there, oh, what's Lord. happening here? And I'm like trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. And then like mysterious third roommate goes, yeah, I hear it too. And as soon as she texts me that, I'm like, it's a fucking fox because i just remembered the horrible noise that foxes make what horrible noise courtney this one yep yeah that motherfucker screamed for like 40 fucking minutes yeah. and it was upsetting the entire yeah. time oh of course and i'm sure all of our other neighbors were like nah, yeah i saw it. my best friend yesterday and i played that video that i found on youtube yeah. for her to be like this is what the noise was and she goes what the fuck why does it make that noise and i'm right? like i don't know but it's that's the thing that i can't figure out is like why that noise in particular and that's not even their upset noise that's just a noise they make when they're like hey what's up yeah hey 
Anyway, so that scared the ever-loving shit out of me. And then I got all caught up on Riverdale today. So that's fine. It is as batshit as ever. So that's what's happening on Riverdale. Anyway, those were the things that happened to me that were spooky. What are we talking about this week? We are talking about lighthouses. Ooh. Ooh, Sasha, why? Yes, because I fell into a hole on the internet and then I told Courtney, we have to talk about this on the podcast. All right. (laughs) So I'm just going to do a little bit of intro into lighthouses and why they are why they are. All right. So lighthouses hold basically like a mystical position in the lore of the sea. All right. Throughout the history, the lore lore of of the the sea, sea. (laughs) you're thinking about like, yeah, whenever you have these like spooky ghosts ghost ship stories or like shipwrecks or whatever sometimes it's like there was a lighthouse but then there wasn't it was an illusion Whoa. and they washed ashore right Ooh. yeah and then they crashed so throughout history their main purpose is to guide ships to safety or or if you're a pirate or a shipwrecker lure them to their doom many are claimed to be haunted by the shades of their victims or their operators they date to ancient <gasps> times. The Greek Homer wrote of Palamedes of Nephplio being the inventor of the device, though, you know, it's more like legend than fact, his own account. And then there's drawings and written descriptions of the pharaohs of Alexandria that shed light on the existence of two the structures two more or more centuries before the dawn of Common Era and indicate that there was a need to guide mariners through these dangerous waters, and it was addressed by ancient Egyptians, Phoenicians, and Greeks, as well as the Romans and others. So, you know, we think of lighthouses these days as what's on the East Coast, like North Carolina. The big, tall, stripy bad boys. Yeah, but that wasn't always the case. Ruins of Roman lighthouses that were erected in the British Isles were determined by researchers to be mostly just like a little tower that was topped with fire, kept burning through the night by keepers. And then in the Middle Ages and Renaissance, they became more complex with glass windows to protect the flames from the wind. How do you keep a flame going when it's raining and windy? They were expensive and a rare commodity, which made the construction and maintenance of lighthouses basically a product for royal people of Europe or investors with deep pockets who saw a a reason why they should put their money into these things. And then as Western European nations competed for colonial control of this continent, (laughs) basically, (laughs) lighthouses emerged along America's coastline, marking shoal water and uh, contrary currents and entries to bays and inlets. Again, we live near the Chesapeake Bay. We fucking love our lighthouses in Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, and North Carolina and South Carolina. We have rocky AF shores. Yeah. Yep. Like, I don't know if other shores are more chill and ours are just unique for it's being It's a jagged like, coastline over here. Yeah. It's like, oh, you like suddenly shallow water with like a bunch of sharp ass rocks? Great. We got a lot of that. Right. Enjoy. And then the boat's like, oh, no. And then that's the end of your boat. Thus lighthouses. <laughs> <laughs> Thus lighthouses. And so they're still... <laughs> Obviously, like to this day, still a primary marking point for mariners, even though they have, you know, radar and global positioning systems. It's mm-hmm. basically like it's a good visual for sailors that like okay, here shore. is literally the shore. It's kind of like, you know, you have those light towers with blinking lights at night because like yeah. helicopters fly through and planes fly through. You need to know where it is. It's just a visual marker. Yeah. The National Park Service has a great history of lighthouses mm-hmm. on in their historical lighthouse preservation handbook. There are many times types. There's a wooden tower, which most of them don't exist anymore. They've burned down or been replaced. There's a masonry tower, which is usually rubble, stone, or cut stone or brick. There's wave-swept towers that are usually built on low rocks or submarine ledges, and they have like interlocking stones. Concrete towers, which are reinforced concrete. They're smooth on the outside. Cast iron plate towers, skeletal towers. So that sounds exactly what it is. It's, it's, see-through. It's a giant skeleton? Yes. A giant skeleton. And and the bones are just like pointing up to be like, here's the shore. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It looks more like like electrical towers, you know, with all the wire. Yeah. And then it has like a tube down through the middle Mm -hmm. that people use to like actually get up into the top. I like my theory better. (laughs) I like that one too. I like like the idea of a giant bone structure. Just a giant skeleton. And then like the flames are his eyes. Yeah. So he has spooky flaming eyes. There's a straight pile, which is foundation created with piles where the waves go through rather than crash the foundation. So it's basically like on stilts. And then there's the screw pile, which it just makes it stronger. 
And they look like kind of spider-like foundations, and it's usually used um, in rivers or bays. I'm sure everyone's seen one of these at some point, but you might not be thinking of it. It looks like a spider. Basically, there's a hundred of them. I'm going to Google screw pile, and I'm going to hope that my safe search is on. Yes, please. Oh, that guy. Yeah, that guy. Okay, so it's kind of like, it's on like stilty Yeah, it kind of looks almost like Baba Yaga's house. Baba Yaga's house, or like an offshore drilling thing, but old, like wooden. And then there's Texas Tower type, which is kind of what it looks like, the offshore drilling rigs, and then Mm -hmm. caissons and cribs. National Park Service has, like, detailed (laughs) histories about this, and I just fucking love it. How much do you want to know about lighthouses, guys? I've been to Duck, North Carolina, you know, in the Outer Banks, and Mm -hmm. my friends and I went to three different lighthouses. And this is, like, on, like, a college beach week, but we were like, there's lighthouses, let's go up to the top. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then we got really wasted that night. But but during the, the day, lighthouse. it was lighthouse sightseeing. It was really great. Lighthouses can be spooky, all right? They're often located in remote areas, and then mm-hmm. they're usually prone to fog or heavy mist, Bust crashing sounds, you know, hurricanes, storms, all of that. By design, they're looming structures with few windows, or those that are long no longer in service are often surrounded by crumbling service buildings or you know overrun by weeds the buildings themselves mm-hmm. are falling apart and those are often located in areas where the sea is often troublesome to sailors with crashing heavy surf and reputations for shipwrecks and so there are definitely like prime candidates for hauntings and a favorite target of those who believe in the ghosts and paranormals so basically us <laughs> so <laughs> Tales of ghostly encounters in lighthouses are repeated around the world. Some focus on strange deaths within the lighthouses, especially among the keepers and their families. Mm-hmm. Others are centered on the ghosts of dead sailors whose ships, you know, crashed in the seas because they couldn't see the light or hear the fog warnings. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes there are stories of, you know, unfortunate events, murders and suicides, but which utilize the height of the tower mm-hmm. to like propel someone to the death below. There are a lot of haunted lighthouses in the Great Lakes, which is funny because your joke was Lake Erie, which is a Great Lake. That's not going to be the only Great Lake you're hearing about. <laughs> that sounds suggestive. I'm, I am genuinely going to yeah, talk about be a great lighthouse. Lake. That's not a Great Lake. Excellent. <laughs> there's a bunch in Great Britain as well, in Cornwall, Peasants, Dover, and other places. Hmm. And there are a lot of these lighthouses that have been you know, featured on TV shows about paranormal things. Yes. Yes. Ghost haunter, your ghost whatever, and ghost. all that. <laughs> ghost whatever. Ghost whatever. <laughs> Coming um, soon to the Travel Channel. <laughs> a lot of them have become museums. Some have become bed and breakfasts, and the hosts will be like, yeah, spend a night with the ghost, and like, Stop let's do a seance. Doing spoilers for my story. <laughs> <laughs> but other times, like, the government's like, here, buy an old lighthouse and like make it into whatever you want because they want mm-hmm. people to be like, no, it's like really not that haunted. Yeah. But cowards. Yeah, cowards. <laughs> I just want to believe. <laughs> yeah, th- let us have this government. You literally take everything else from us. So that was kind of like my justification for why we're doing an entire episode on lighthouses, because they can be spooky AF. Whether or not you, you know, think of lighthouses as a spooky thing. When you are isolated from mm-hmm. the land and you are stuck with another person, a lot of times terrible things happen. Or when yep. you're living alone and manning a lighthouse, also terrible things can happen. Yeah. It, now that lighthouses are largely automated and like don't mm-hmm. actually need humans to be there, like case in point, the episode of The Simpsons where Homer goes, it's like very old, he can't find his soulmate, he goes to the lighthouse to like find a lighthouse keeper and then realizes it's just like Oh, that's right. Automated. I remember that one. And then it's just like a light bulb. <laughs> yeah, it's just a light bulb. And he like smashes it. And then he realizes he, he has to fix it. And Marge comes and like saves the day. That's the ep- same episode with Space Coyote. Fucking yeah. love that episode. But yeah, it's like, like, we don't really have these stories anymore. So a lot of these stories are from long ago, especially in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. So how I ended up down this hole, there is a movie called The Lighthouse that just came out this month. And the plot is two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. It's psychological horror and stars Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Um, Because it's psychological horror, it does get trippy. One of my coworkers went and saw it. He told me about all the weird shit that happens. I've read the Wikipedia page about it because it's all in detail now. I'm not going to spoil what happens, but basically nothing good happens to either man. (laughs) And that's how I learned about the 2016 film. But you had something to tell me about Willem Dafoe. I do. So I went to see How Did This Get Made? 
over the summer yeah. back in when we had that horrible heat wave in July. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. We watched a terrible Madonna movie from the early 90s called Body of Evidence, mm-hmm. and Willem Dafoe was in it. And someone stood up to share the fact that he did a, I think it was a Lars von Trier movie. Yeah, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. I mean, he, he did some movie where he showed his dick, and they got a dick double because, and I quote, the director found Willem Dafoe's penis confusingly large. So his dick was so big, he was worried that it would confuse the audience. So they had to get him a dick double. I just, I want to know what classifies confusingly large. Well, you're going to have to Google Willem Dafoe's penis because I'm not going to search that for you. Turn safe search off. But yes, he's got a big floppy wiener. (laughs) Collegehumor.com. Nine famous people you didn't know had Mondo dongs. Willem Dafoe. All of them. (laughs) Not safe for work. Naked Willem Dafoe dancing around. This is on Reddit. Can't unsee. Because he got a giant floppy wiener. I haven't looked at it. I I don't. It's already too much for me knowing that Willem Dafoe has the face that he has and also has a giant floppy wiener. Oh, that really is him when he was younger. But yeah, like, it's not... It's not erect, and it's a large floppy wiener. I won't send this to you. Thank you. I appreciate I will, that. I, I wouldn't s- have opened it. But, okay, I will say, if <laughs> if just his dick was censored, his dancing in this gif is really fucking funny. <laughs> he looks really <laughs> pleased with himself, and there's a naked woman behind him I mean, also dancing, but she looks like keyboard cat. She's, oh. she's dancing like this. <laughs> it looks like a fucking keyboard cat and has a beret on and long hair that's covering her boobs. <laughs> he looks so happy with himself. If I can find a censored version to send you, yeah, I will. Just because... like crop it from like the waist up. <laughs> uh, so anyway, funny. I just, it's kind of ruined my life that now every time I look at Willem Dafoe, the Green Goblin, and know that he's got a giant Mondo <laughs> dick. The top just... comment is, I'd be dancing too if my dick was that big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you? They had a stunt penis for him in Antichrist, as Lars von Trailer said he was see? abnormally large for his sex scenes. See? See? <laughs> I told you that. That's the thing I knew. It was confusing for the audience. It's too big. He's got a big floppy wiener. Anyway, that's the scariest thing about this episode, folks. But speaking of lighthouse movies, while I was researching the two stories that I'm going to mm-hmm. get into, I remembered a movie that I saw... Probably around the time it came out, but around the time it came out, it did kind of read as an older movie. But it was in 2006. The movie is called Half Light, and it stars Demi Moore and Henry Ian Cusick from Lost. He's the cute Scottish guy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is this a real movie, or did I, like, hallucinate this in some sort of fever dream? 2006 British mystery horror drama film. It is not a horror film in the slightest. It's That's vaguely so fun. thrillery. What, what I love is like when these movies, like I mean, like I said, the Lighthouse twenty nineteen is classified as a horror film, yeah. but sometimes they don't read. Like, what even is a horror film? We just don't we know. Just don't know. Anyway, so the plot of Half Light is like Demi Moore is a successful novelist, and her husband is a successful editor who has yet to get a book published. But, like, she's at home writing her next great novel, and she's not paying attention to their, like, five-year-old son who, like, toddles outside and immediately drowns in, like, a lake. And so, obviously, having the kid be dead puts strain on the marriage, so they've decided to, like, take a break, and she moves to this, like, remote town in Scotland. And while she's there, she meets this, like, hunky hunk who's a lighthouse keeper. And his name is Angus because it's Scotland and you can't have a hunky lighthouse keeper unless his name is Angus. Hmm. And so she and Angus start up this, like, friendship or whatever. And then, like, after knowing each other for, like, a month, they bone in the lighthouse. It's great. She's like, I'm definitely divorcing my fucking husband so that I can keep getting this sweet lighthouse keeper dick, which is big and floppy like Willem Dafoe's. And, you know, after they bone, she's like, I'm going to my friend's birthday tomorrow. Do you want to come? And he's like, yeah, totes, all totes come. And he stands her up. And so she turns to her friend and she's like, "This, is, I'm so sorry. I can't believe he did this. I thought he was different. You know, his name is Angus, whatever, whatever. And she's like, are you joking? And she's like, no. And the friend goes, there hasn't been a man named Angus here in 145 years. Anyway, turns out. There is no lighthouse keeper named Angus. There's only a spooky local legend about a man named Angus who used to keep the lighthouse. But then he did a murder-suicide because he walked into the lighthouse and his wife was having an affair with somebody. And then he killed her lover and her and then himself. Mm. And so 
her friend's like, has anyone else ever seen Angus with you? And they like find a picture of him in an archival book and they're like, oh shit, this is the guy that I boned. So she boned a ghost named Angus. Whoa. Are you ready for the twist? Yes. The twist isn't that he's a ghost. The twist is he's not a ghost. Her fucking husband is gaslighting her because he's fucking her best friend and they're gaslighting her so that they can set her up like she's going to kill herself, but she's not going to kill herself. They're going to kill her. But then the guy they hired to play Angus gets possessed by the actual ghost of the real Angus, kills the husband, kills the husband's girlfriend slash the best friend, saves Demi Moore, and then the guy who is who pretended to be Angus like steps off the lighthouse. And it is a batshit movie. Amazing. Yeah, I just read the Wikipedia summary and I was like, that's a There's a lot going There's on. There's a in lot that happening movie. in this one movie. Yeah, like just the moment where she's like, oh, no, I hallucinated sexy times with a ghost. Because <laughs> she's genuinely like, oh, I must be losing my mind. And it's like, really? That worked on you? Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I recommend Half-Life. It, it was entertaining yeah. when I watched it 13 years ago. But I was also, yeah, yeah. 2006 British mystery movie. Interesting. Yeah. So A lot of Scottish accents. Can't go wrong. So there's another British movie about a lighthouse. <gasps> so... I learned about 2019 Lighthouse, and yes. then I discovered that it's loosely based on the events that are actually in the 2016 Lighthouse. So this is okay. a British movie. Okay. In summary, it's also called The Lighthouse, so very confusing. <laughs> very straightforward. In 1801, Thomas Howell and Thomas Griffith are stationed at Smalls Island Lighthouse to man the lighthouse 25 miles from land in the Irish Sea. After a storm strands the men, they begin developing cabin fever and slowly lose their minds psychological thrillers based on the events of the smalls lighthouse incident which then i had to like read all about i mean obviously how can you read something like that and then not read about the smalls lighthouse right because i was like um what is the smalls lighthouse incident and then i well, discovered it's when you don't have willem dafoe's lighthouse so you have a smaller one small the <laughs> large lighthouse incident aka willem <laughs> dafoe's penis willem dafoe's dick that's the episode title large <laughs> lighthouse incident. large lighthouse incident featuring X-rated. willem dafoe <laughs> featuring willem dafoe's big floppy wiener so Ooh. in 2011 there was yet another thing called the lighthouse it- how did, did anything ever actually happen in the smalls lighthouse or is it like a matryoshka doll of just different movies based I, on movies will, based on movies uh, i will get to the 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 creamy nougat <laughs> center in just a second is there Creamy yes, there center, is. So or is it a rock? the lighthouse then is 2011. It's a BBC radio play about the Smalls Lighthouse incident. So at this point, I'm like, how the fuck did I not hear about this story sooner? Because British people seem to really love the Smalls Lighthouse. They love it so much they've made like nine movies. So about I'm it. finally <laughs> going to tell you the story of Thomas Howell and Thomas Griffith and this tragedy of Smalls Lighthouse. Is it that one of them had a giant floppy wiener and yes, the other one had an average size damn wiener? It, whole shit spoiled <laughs> it was all about penises i knew it that's why isn't it always there's been so many movies about it ladies Sex when we get right down to it isn't it always about penises it's always about the penis it's 2019 20. everything's ruined and it's because of penises so, yep. so there's this author named angelo marcos who writes psychological horror and crime fiction and he's also a writer and comedian uh, or like otherwise he like writes plays and stuff but he wrote a great telling of the smalls lighthouse tragedy on his blog in 2018 and so i'm mm-hmm. just going to read that because he did a really great job of like telling the story in kind of a spooky way and then there's also a great historical account by Ivor Emlyn from shortly after the events in the 1850s which is also great because he's just a person who wants to write about the history of lighthouses in the 1850s <laughs> but he also had to like write about this incident he's at like, the small lighthouse one time this like spooky thing happened but everybody knows the interesting part about the lighthouse is that the way the light works is there's actually a series of mirrors right he's like <laughs> trying not to be bombastic about it and he's just like I know this is crazy but I just need you to stick with me because this is what really happened (laughs) okay all right so let me tell you angelo marcos's telling of the smalls lighthouse incident tell me tell me so the smalls lighthouse was built in 1776 on a collection of rocks about 25 miles off the coast of wales which was known as the smalls back then lighthouses were not the solid cylindrical structures that we saw today so this is where i was talking about that spider-like thing the smalls lighthouse was one of those it was basically a rickety little hut suspended above the ground on massive stalks that were like a giant spider the ceiling of the lighthouse hut had a trap door leading up to the lamp which gave the 
keepers easy access without having to go outside and brave the elements. There was also a short shelf running around the perimeter of the hut, surrounded by railings, which allowed the keepers to undertake any repair work on the exterior when necessary. So it was like a like a catwalk on the outside. Mm-hmm. It was all very self-contained, mitigating... A widow's walk. A widow's walk, if you will. Mitigating the need for the keepers to go outside in heavy storms. The original spider legs were found to be too weak, so work was done to reinforce them. The massive arachnid now had a suit of armor. If only the lighthouse keepers had been protected. Thomas Howell and Thomas Griffith. The only thing Thomas Howell and Griffith had in common was their first name. Once installed as lighthouse keepers, they immediately took a dislike to each other, spending hours arguing and fighting. Physical altercations and scuffles soon followed, often in public houses where other patrons would hastily make their escape to avoid the scene. Oh man, can you imagine you're just like out for a drink with your like, friends oh, and fuck, these it's the two Thomases. assholes blow in and you're like, God damn it, it's the Thomases again. <laughs> We gotta go, guys. Can we get the bill? <laughs> check, check, please. Oh, no, just, just keep it on my tab. I'll come back and you know, pay just, I'll come back tomorrow. You can yeah. keep my credit card. It's fine. <laughs> the two men couldn't agree on anything, clashing on even the most mundane and inconsequential of topics. The animos- no, my name is Thomas. <laughs> the animosity was clear to everyone, which is why when Thomas Griffith died in the lighthouse one night, either in a freak accident or through illness, the records are unclear. According to the historical account from that writer in the 1850s, yeah. Thomas got sick and just like continued to get sicker. Oh, but, I thought for sure it was going to end in like a murder of some well, kind. So that was what Thomas Howell was worried about too. Thomas Howell <laughs> knew he would immediately be under suspicion of murder. The whole, like, I just hated him. I was just happy when he got sick and died. I didn't kill, kill him. him. The whole world knew they hated each other. Howell could already hear the accusations flying that a fight had gone too far and he'd kill his colleague. So his solution. Uh-oh. Keep the body in the lighthouse so that when everyone, when he was eventually rescued, because storms were howling around the lighthouse by this time, it was impossible for him to just leave. It would be clear from examining the body that there had been no foul play. If he had disposed of the body into the sea or by some other means, there'd be no way of proving his innocence. What in the Riverdale weird dead body nonsense? So Howell decided to live (laughs) with the corpse of Griffith, which from records we have was a very short-lived solution. And without getting too (laughs) descriptive, how could it be anything else, right? Sharing a cramped hut with a person you hate is one thing, but sharing it with the rapidly decomposing body is quite another. Gross. So, and it's wet and salty, and it's wet. so it's going to be eroding. It's, it's not great. Not a great place. The corpse no. problem. The corpse problem. <laughs> How, Howell needed a different solution. After considering his <laughs> options, he devised a plan worthy of MacGyver. <laughs> <laughs> Howell, MacGyver's like, please leave please me out leave of me this. Out of this. <laughs> Howell was a cooper, which meant he was accustomed to building huge wooden barrels and manipulating the material to fit a specific shape. I forgot what we were talking about for a second, and I'm like, so he had the serial killer gene? Because <laughs> he's related to Betty Cooper. Yeah. So he collected various pieces of wood from around the hut and managed to build a makeshift coffin for his former colleague. Once it was finished, he hefted his former colleague inside, in, inside the coffin. Griffith had not been a small man, so this was <laughs> an arduous task. And also Ready. he's decomposing. Also, he's goopy. He's goopy and he's starting to swell. <laughs> and then he dragged the bo- wooden box out onto the lighthouse shelf. Once there, he secured it to the railing so as to ensure the heavy winds would not result in the very occurrence he was trying to prevent. The body disappearing into the sea and Howell's innocence being disputed. Satisfied with his ingenuity and his craftsmanship, he hoisted up a distress signal, knowing it was only a matter of time before a rescue boat would arrive. In the meantime, with the coffin securely affixed to the railings, Howell got back to work. He toiled to keep the lighthouse functioning as best he could, essentially doing the work of two men. He scurried up and down the trapdoor to the lamp, maintaining it and ensuring that it continued to light the way for mariners so as to avoid any disasters. And the plan worked, and it worked perfectly, until it spectacularly didn't. (laughs) The storms ratcheted up in intensity and ferocity, battering the lighthouse and totally decimating the wood of the coffin. I swear to God, if this ends with an on-fire corpse getting launched out of the lighthouse, (laughs) I'm going to lose my shit. No, no, no. It's not not that crazy. But but there will be a corpse. Oh, Um, good. Well, there already is one. Yeah, the the corpse will be involved, though. (laughs) This is Chekhov's corpse that we put on the mantelpiece. (laughs) 
<laughs> the hastily constructed box was uh, no match for the elements, and in no time splintered planks were scattered into the sea and dashed onto the rocks. At first, Howell must have been terrified that Griffith's body would be swept away too, the only proof of his innocence again blown into the ether. Perversely, though, his, this fear would have turned to relief and then immediately back into fear after he saw that the corpse didn't go anywhere. The wood had been destroyed, but the ropes between the railings had somehow twisted tight around Griffith, holding him fast to the railings on the outside shelf. The hut's window suddenly became a widescreen TV showing a decaying corpse in real time. (laughs) I know it's not funny, but it's a little funny. And to add to the horror, the body was positioned in such a way that so often the howling wind would catch one of the arms, making it look like Griffith was waving to his old sparring partner. Jesus Christ. So this went on for a while. And by a while, four months... Nobody came out. Nobody the was because it just kept storming. It was oh like a stormy God. season, and so no one could come get them off the lighthouse. So oh, that no. amount of time would take the body through the flesh and bloat stages of the decomposition and then into the active decay stage. So now we've got a skeleton waving around. And so basically the author, Angelo Marcus, said he's not going to go into it because researching it made him really sick. I believe <laughs> but, it. It sounds gross. But naming the names of them should give you a good idea of what Thomas Howell would have been looking at for 16 weeks. Imagine being trapped inside of a rickety hut tenuously perched on battered wood spider legs as the storms raged outside. Now imagine the same things, but with the inclusion of a decaying corpse, which you couldn't avoid looking at, both directly and peripherally, from every angle of your prison. And don't think that closing your eyes would help either, because even though you weren't looking at the body, it doesn't mean the body wasn't looking at you. Oh my god. <laughs> so, the question, like you just asked, was why, how did they not get rescued, right? Why did nobody find them, even though they had the distress signal up? So, there were attempts made. By on numerous occasions to get to the <laughs> lighthouse was made. to find out why the distress signal had been hoisted. Okay? Sure. And the problem was that every time boats appoint, approached the lighthouse in raging storms, they would see the same things. The lamp was lit as it should be. There oh, was no. no sign of boat wreckage or other indicators of any incident, and everything looked like it was in perfect order. And there was a guy waving, being like, hey, guys, yes. how's it going? Oh, my God. The, potential, the rescuers would see a silhouette of a man resting on the shelf and go, hey. Oh, how nice. He's waving. Hi. I guess they figured it out. Hi. Bye. I'm waving. Oh God. Hi. <laughs> oh. All right. So for- Meanwhile, other Thomas is like, come the fuck Please. on, guys. <laughs> so after being rescued, finally, after four months, Thomas Howell was not himself. Close friends... <laughs> That was just my, of course he's, of course he's not himself. And the thing, this story didn't mention that I learned from the historical account was these men had families. That's the other thing is like the, their families would come up onto the rocks, like, you know, out on the coast where they could like see the lighthouse in the distance and wonder Look, like, daddy's waving. What was happening over there? Because they kept seeing the distress signals and then the, the rescue boats would come back and say nothing was happening, but they kept hoisting the distress signals. So his friends, how is there not a signal that says he's not waving? He's decomposing. Right. That's what I'm saying. So close friends who saw him after the incident apparently failed to recognize him. Like, you can understand someone looking different or maybe appearing slightly anxious or stressed, but apparently he looked and acted like a completely different person. The physical and emotional damage was that was inflicted upon him was so severe. So the question then is, what if Howell really did kill Griffith, though? <laughs> right? <laughs> that's what? some Edgar and Allan so Poe shit. That's where An- Angelo Marcus said this is like very much an Edgar Allan Poe story if you think of it as like the worst possible scenario. That yeah. what if they fa- had one final argument that went too far or with Griffith being the bigger of two men, Howell poisoned his colleague, right? How hard would mm-hmm. it be to add non-edible items to food when you're in close quarters? You've got you know, lamp oil, you've got a bunch of other things going on. And then, you know, Howell was upset about the events that happened, you know, followed Griffith's death. But what if it was that Howell felt guilty, like telltale heart, right, about that death. And then it's a, like, this could be, you know, a story where there's a crime and the killer got immediate terrible justice afterwards. (laughs) Immediate and terrible. And then the absence of further evidence, it's probably kinder to just assume that Howell was just... 
an un, you know, victim of undeserving, you know, horrific circumstance that Griffith was just really sick. Like the historical, re- I mean, the historical report said that he was sick. That's just right. the story they're going along. But does that make that better or worse? <laughs> so <laughs> certainly doesn't make it better. You still end up in the same place, which is decomposing body being right. like, oh my gosh. So I'm still like, I just really love the historical historical story where it was Ivor Elman just being like these poor relatives and the poor men like that there's there's no winning th- that there's it says night after the anxiety of Mr. Whiteside and the relatives of Howell and Griffith all this time was intense night after night saw some of them on cliffs watching the lights fearful of something having befallen the both the non-appearance of a light would have been direct proof that such was a case but regularly as they watched the light burned with its usual brightness and gave no indication of the suffering of the poor sick and imprisoned light keepers so this was before Griffith even died that they weren't having a good time to begin with that they were that they were sick that Griffith mm-hmm. was getting wor- worse and like that Howell was having to do all the, you know, work himself. And yeah. yeah, it was just like, again, the story, the same version was saying that decomposition would quickly follow. The body of death would vitiate the atmosphere of the two confined apartment. The body could not be thrown to find its grave into the sea. Suspicion with her hundred thousand tongues would point at Howell as the author of foul play that to hide a lesser fault he had committed the one greater at one of murder. The world is too apt to condemn errant judges. And it's just like, <laughs> damn. so basically after this calamity, they determined, the British determined that we need three lighthouse keepers at a time. <laughs> Good. So then they'll be and at each so, other's throats uh, more. Right. So after that, for the rest, until lighthouses became automated, it was three lighthouse keepers. You couldn't have two anymore because they were worried that if something happens, like, or, yeah, if a murder happens or you get... You a, need a witness. You need a witness. And you need a sexy, sexy ghost. You need a sexy, sexy ghost. Okay. Oh boy. Tell me about your lighthouses. All right. So we're going to start on the Gulf of Mexico. Hell yeah. And this is a lighthouse. I don't remember which style you said it was, but it's the one that looks like a little house that's got a little tower in it. Okay. So both of the ones we're going to go over look like that. Okay. So it's like just imagine a cute little house, got a little tower coming out. It's on a body of water. This one's on the Ghost of, Mexi- Ghost of Mexico. So <laughs> what I just said. The Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico. Anyway, the... Port Boca Grande Lighthouse on Gasparilla Island, or possibly Gasparilla Island in Florida, was built in 1890, and it changed hands several times, with lighthouse keepers living in the attached home and keeping the light going strong and entertaining the well-to-do for decades. Because turns out, rich motherfuckers love going to lighthouses. That was the thing to do back, like, 1800 style. Amazing. Like, millionaires like John Rockefeller and John Jacob Astor would cruise down for some sport fishing in the Gulf of Mexico, and they're like, I mean, since we're here, we may as well go to the lighthouse, and then they'd dock at the Port Boca Grande lighthouse, and then they'd schmooze with the keeper. (laughs) So it was like a whole fucking thing. Yeah, Yeah, like, let's make a day of it, let's do this. Amazing. And the long... The long line of keepers were also often hailed as heroes because they conducted many daring seaside rescues. Mm. So it's like, ship in distress, out I go. So everybody loved lighthouse keepers. But in 1967, the lighthouse started to fall into disrepair, mostly due to strong storms and erosion on the island. Mm -hmm. In 1981, people were like, I mean, we should probably take better care of this fucking lighthouse. And so efforts began to restore it to its former glory. And by 1986, it was relit, even though it didn't really have to be at that point. They just did it because, you know, historic lighthouses. Mm -hmm. But with that relighting came the dark shadows of the lighthouse's spooky past. Reports quickly emerged that visitors to the historic lighthouse would see a little girl near the stairs leading to the top room. Sometimes the little girl is in the top room, playing and giggling. Even if you don't see her, most guests will report feeling something foreboding around the stairs. But who is she? But also, like, okay, I get, like, feeling a ghost as, like, cold air or something, but you're feeling a little girl as foreboding. (laughs) What is that? Spooky! Early in the days of the lighthouse, so probably, like, late, late 1800s, so, like, 1890s. Sure. A young family called Johnson lived and worked the property. The Johnsons were, by all accounts, a happy and pleasant family. Mm -hmm. Their five-year-old daughter loved living in the lighthouse. Like, she would play in the upper rooms of the home because she liked that the rooms had windows on all sides so that they could always see the ocean. 
which like is very sweet and it's also like a practical thing for lighthouses right. but she liked being surrounded by the mm-hmm. sea and her face became almost as well known as the light from the lighthouse itself because mm-hmm. people would see her illuminated late into the night always looking out on the ocean and playing yeah in the windows of the upstairs room but Uh-oh. remember we're still in the 1800s nobody escapes the 1800s unscathed the little girl got sick. Oh, no. Either she got diphtheria or whooping cough. Oh, God. Neither of which was good. And she died in the very lighthouse she loved. Oh. And because it was still terrible in the 1800s, they couldn't transport her body anywhere. Oh, God. So they buried her on the grounds instead. Yeah. Yeah. And to this day, that little girl continues to play in the room where she is surrounded by the sea even if she hasn't been alive for more than a hundred years. But, turns out, she's not the only ghost in the lighthouse. The land upon which the lighthouse was built came pre-haunted for your convenience. Oh, shit. As the legend goes, the island itself was named for the pirate Jose Gaspar. Gaspar was reportedly very fond of the island to which he would eventually bestow his name, using it as a private haunt. Ooh. Haunt, <laughs> haunt, haunt. Haunt, 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 haunt. During the mid-1700s when he was doing his peak pirating. Gaspar mm. eventually fell head over heels for a young Spanish princess by the name of Josefa. He was so in love with her, in fact, that he kidnapped her from her home and brought her to Gasparilla Island where he kept most of his treasure. That's a healthy start to a relationship. Yeah, I put in my notes, because there's nothing women and people in general love more than being kidnapped to look at some alleged treasure. I, hmm. Mm. Mm. Hey, yo, girl, I'm going to steal you. You want to come look at some treasure? Uh. Cool. <laughs> Gaspar showed Josefa his hoard and professed his love and devotion for her on the spot. He's like, look at all of my loot. And also, you're here, too. You're the booty you're I want. You're here, too. Yeah, this is the booty I have. You're the booty I want. What are you doing for the rest of your life? <laughs> and because she was a smart person who doesn't fall in love with somebody just because they kidnapped her, Josefa was like, no, I don't want any of this. This doesn't this is- seem like a good idea. No, thank you. Who came up with this plan? Please take me home. And then Gaspar said, OMG, I'm so sorry that I forced this patriarchal nonsense about conquering you with my love. Just kidding. Let me take you back home and let you live out the rest of your days peacefully while hopefully getting some therapy to cope with this trauma of kidnapping. Please say psych. Yes, just kidding. Psych. (laughs) He did not say that. He was decidedly unchill. This is why the island is haunted. In a fit of rage at being rejected, Gaspar beheaded Yosefa oh, and buried her body on the beach. I wish she hadn't said psych. I know, I should have just gone with... And she lived happily ever after, after, and, after, and, and he no realized that he wasn't, her again. He realized he wasn't being a healthy person. No, he realized the real booty was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> anyway, so he buried her body on the beach, uh-huh. which is the same beach where they would eventually build the lighthouse. Uh. And in even worse news... He only buried the body. He uh, kept the head. Uh, uh, and he kept it with him for years as a sign ooh. of his lifelong devotion to Yosefa. What the fuck? And I put in my notes at this point, endless screaming. What the fuck? Yeah. He kept it with him on his fucking pirate ship like a fucking monster. What the fuck? Yosefa's headless body still roams the beach where he left her trying to find her head making it the most upsetting ghost of Gasparilla Island. Oh, God. Yeah. You ready for me to bring it back up? Yeah. Because we want to have fun lighthouses? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Love it's technically not in the lighthouse, but it's near, near the light. It. Okay. Work. That counts. It's close enough. Boca Grande Bakery, right by the lighthouse, mm-hmm. super haunted. By whom? We don't know. It's just some preteen girl who seemingly, like, she didn't die there. She probably she didn't like, die, like... She really likes baked goods. I love it. She just likes, she just comes in, she like pranks them a little bit. So she'll like move pans around when nobody else is there. She likes to push cups that are near the freezers. <laughs> and periodically when people are opening their bakery, she just like is like, bah! <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, respect that's, that's. I mean, that's what your ghost is going to do, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm going to find a cute bakery and be like, oh, no, I didn't die here. I'm just hanging. I just really just like muffins. love the baked goods. Don't worry about it. All right. You ready to hear about. The Great Lakes Yes, I again. am. Is it eerie? Okay, great. No. Okay. 
But I is mean, it, it spooky? Is eerie, but it's but um. <laughs> oh, also I forgot to say the story about the Port Boca Grande Lighthouse came from BocaBeacon.com, Coastal Living, LighthouseFriends.com, and AngelsGhost.com. Lighthouse. And this one comes from Coastal Living, Wikipedia, Big Bay Lighthouse, MyNorth.com, LostInMichigan.com, and AngelsGhosts.com. Give Wikipedia money. Weekly give reminder. Spoiler alert, you should give them some money. Hunkered down near the frigid waters of Lake Superior in Michigan's Upper Peninsula hey. is Big Bay Point Light. The lighthouse was constructed in 1896 of red brick, which makes it my favorite building material of all time, because I love red brick. You also love red pandas. I do. I we just really like the color red. Yeah. Don't look too much into it. It's fine. <laughs> it's totally normal. Anyway, the lighthouse overlooks the lake, and there's a duplex around the back, so it's kind mm. of that structure again, so it's like a lighthouse in the front, living arrangements in the back, slash party Business in the back. Business in the front, party in the back. So, it's a duplex in the back, so there's a house for the keeper, and then a house for the assistant keeper, because this is before, I guess Ooh. America didn't have the three-keeper rule. Yeah. They did not see the 18,000 movies about the Smalls Lighthouse incident, <laughs> and did not learn their lesson. So even though Big Bay Point Light was automated in 1941, which mm-hmm. is super early, because really it was only functional for like 50 years, mm-hmm. there was still plenty of time for it to accumulate enough ghosts to become one of the most haunted lighthouses in America. I love it. So thanks to its remote location in the Upper Peninsula in the late 1800s slash early 1900s, people and residents of the lighthouse were often extremely isolated, which, you know, makes sense. Yeah, it happens. Standard lighthouse shit. Sure. The closest town is Marquette, which is about 25 miles away, which, like, 1800 style, that's that's a long way. That's a long way. Yeah, now 25 miles is like, yeah, I can do that, but, na- but back then, no. No. And the lighthouse's inaugural keeper, William Pryor, could attest to how long that 25 miles is. Early into his tenure as keeper, his sister took ill and died, and so Pryor made the trek to visit family for her funeral. While he was away, he left the assistant keeper, Ralph Heater, in charge. Except Pryor had a reputation for being a cranky bastard that he earned. Like, he was a persnickety motherfucker, and I loved it. I love that phrase, persnickety motherfucker. Just wait, you're going to hear about it. You can read some of his logbook online, and he is super bitchy about all of his assistants in it. Like, all he does is just, like, throw shade. Oh, my God. Great news. I've got excerpts. Ah! Basically, when Pryor got back from his sister's funeral, he felt like Heater had done a terrible job of keeping up with lighthouse things, writing mm-hmm. in the logbook, quote, I cannot see that the assistant has done any work around the station since I left. He has not the energy to carry him down the hill, and if I speak to him about it, he makes no answer, but goes on just as if he did not hear me. And I'm like, he just fucking hates you, and he's ignoring you. Yeah, like, right. You're probably saying something passive-aggressive like, oh, do you maybe want to help me clean? And then he's like, if I pretend not to hear him, I don't have to engage. (laughs) Anyway, he is so much under the control of his wife, he has not the heart to do anything. She has annoyed me during the season by hanging around him and hindering him from working. And she is altogether a person totally unfit to be in a place like this as she is discontented and jealous and has succeeded in making life miserable for everyone at this station. Wait, so she's jealous. (laughs) She's jealous. And I'm like, of what? He's saying, oh, she's jealous. He loves his assistant. Oh, for sure. Like, no wonder the assistant's like, I'm just going to protect. Because he's like, I don't want to get into a romantic thing with my boss. That's a terrible idea. And he's like, hey, cutie, you want to come over here and help me mop? And he's like, la, 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 And then he sees his wife and he's like, oh, she's just jealous. She's just jealous of what we have. Meanwhile, the wife is like, can we get a different job? I know it's the 1800s, but like, come on, man. It'd be nice if we like didn't live here anymore. I would love to not be bitched about in a logbook. <laughs> Side note, this logbook is everything I ever wanted. It's so bitchy. I'm so excited. I love it. Later in the year, Pryor bitched about how his assistant objected to working during the closed season, which seems pretty reasonable to me. Like, I don't know lighthouse things all that well, but like, if it's the off season and the lake is frozen over and boats aren't really boating, then like that seems like a good time to not be there yeah it seems like a great time to maybe not be actively like keeping your lighthouse like take a break also northern michigan is really fucking cold yeah so like if nobody's on the water why do you need a and when you're next to the water it's it's really really fucking fucking cold cold. and they are like on the fucking water anyway yeah anyway so prior bitched about how his assistant was like i don't want to work it's the off season that's how we wrote it in the logbook but like (laughs) i think we were all team hashtag heater on this one anyway 
In the new year of 1898, Pryor complained in the logbook that his assistant now had back problems. This popped up in the log entry from February, in which Pryor noted that Heater had successfully walked 33 miles in 12 hours, which is a, quote, pretty good gait for a guy with back problems. That's a pretty good gait for a guy with back problems. Yeah, so basically, okay. he's like, he says that his back problems are keeping him from working around the lighthouse, but he walked 33 miles in 12 hours, so, like, I guess his back wasn't hurting him then. It's like, oh my god, you're such a bitch. I love it. It's 1890s shade. I just... I um, just, what? I love it. <laughs> Eventually, the office, which I'm assuming is some sort of, like, state department of yeah, lighthouses or something... Sure. He wrote to say that they were going to transfer Heater, probably because Heater was like, please get me away from this fucking guy. I cannot stand it. He is all up in my business all the time, and he will not leave me alone. And the office is finally like, okay, fine, we're going to transfer you. So both Pryor and Heater were probably like, thank God, it's over. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. So Pryor got a new assistant named George Beamer. But George Beamer served for all of one month before getting summoned to fight in the Spanish-American War. Oh, dang. Luckily, he had a wife, and his wife stepped up in his place, and she became the only person to ever serve at Big Bay Point. So, like, get it, girl? Feminism. Awesome. Yeah, and, like, seemingly she was fine. I didn't read any bitchy journal entries about her, so she must have been good at the logbook. I mean, I did... We'll get into the bitchy journal entries I read about her. It wasn't about her lighthouse maintenance. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Anyway... When he came back, he took over for his wife, and he was not good at his job. Oh, no. Or just Pryor was being a cranky old man that he was, even though he wasn't that old, and just Your wife him. does this job better than you. Yeah, and he was just like, well, I hate both of you. Mm. Anyway, per the logbook, Beamer both needed to be constantly supervised and assisted in his duties, but also he hated having help. So he, like, needed his hand held to do even the most basic of lighthouse tasks, but also he got really mad about hand-holding during the most basic lighthouse tasks. Sounds like a teenage boy. Yes, or to me, it sounds like Pryor might have been a micromanager. That too. (laughs) And so Beamer's like, will you just let me light the fucking lighthouse? (laughs) Anyway... Beamer also apparently complained about the remote location of the lighthouse and longed to go home to Detroit, which, like, sounds like standard home. Like, yeah. Detroit's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and he's probably homesick, and also it kind of sucks to be remote. And when you're, yeah, when you're remote, and the only other people are your boss and your wife. You're going to get lighthouse wiener madness. And that's nobody's (laughs) fault. It just happens. (laughs) Pryor very tactfully described this homesickness in the logbook, writing, quote, He is too high strung for a lighthouse keeper's assistant between himself and his wife with this season. I imagine that I am keeping a home for the helpless poor instead of a U.S. lighthouse. Oh, my God. What the fuck? (laughs) This guy is quippy. Within six months, Beamer was on his way and Pryor once again was assistantless. Remember this moment of joy. It's about to get sad. Okay. Just for a little bit. Finally, in November 1898, Pryor found an assistant who could meet his very rigorous standards. Hmm. His son, George Edward Pryor, a.k.a. Edward George Pryor. They wrote it both ways. They weren't super fastidious in the 1800s about writing people's names. Because Pryor wrote his own name with an I and with a Y. Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows? Anyway, for 15 glorious months, the two Pryors ran a tight ship in keeping ships from running aground. (laughs) But sadly, in April 1901, the 19-year-old George fell over in the course of his duties and got a gash in his leg that went down to the bone. And because it was the early, early, early 1900s and thus still basically the 1800s in terms of everything being terrible all the time, George ended up getting gangrene and he died. Oh, God. So the indomitable and grouchy Pryor did not handle the loss of his son very well. No, of course not. I understand. Yeah. He even stopped writing in his beloved and bitchy logbook, which is the saddest Mm. fact for me. Like, it it went from being like, he was in that shit all the time, being like, my Mm. assistant sucks dick, to being like, he'd maybe write something once a month, and then it became every couple months, and then he just gradually stopped writing it entirely. On June 28th, Pryor disappeared. Locals said that they saw him for the last time heading into the woods near the lighthouse with a gun and some strychnine. Mm. His body was found over a year later hanging from a tree. Oh, no. Yeah. So most likely he took his own life because he was really depressed after his son Mm -hmm. passed away. 
but like so much time had passed because right. it, it was a full year before they found him. Yeah. And, you know, it's a full year in Michigan in the UP, which is very, very cold and like decomposition yeah. and like not great conditions. So who knows what actually happened, but he died. After its automation in 1941, the Big Bay mm-hmm. Point Light went through a series of changes before finally becoming, spoiler alert from earlier, a bed and breakfast where you can stay. Aha! When I wrote that in my notes, I was like, oh, Sasha's mind is going to be blown. But then you like gave the whole thing away. So that's well, fine. but I didn't specify which lighthouse it was. I just said that that's some true. have been turned into bed and breakfasts where you can spend time with ghosts. Like this one. So apparently William Pryor does not think too much of the way former innkeeper and preservationist Linda Gamble is keeping the place. (laughs) Because our lord of perpetual bitchiness was frequently recognized around the grounds thanks to his very unique look. He was a tall, redheaded man in a late 1800s lighthouse keeper's uniform, and he would just walk the grounds of the lighthouse. So they're like, uh, and then he'd disappear. And so they're like, oh shit, it's a ghost. Oh shit, a ghost! (laughs) (laughs) He also would make a lot of ruckus inside the actual bed and breakfast and lighthouse. Like, he liked to open and close cupboards. He'd open and close windows. He'd turn lights on and off. And he'd just... Electricity. He'd be like, what the fuck is... What the fuck is this? Why am I even here if we've got an electric light thing up? Whatever. You guys don't understand. (laughs) Back in my day, we didn't have this. Read my logbook. You'll understand. (laughs) I'm gonna write such a logbook entry about you guys. (laughs) Anyway, he would generally just, like, pace about the place and just, like, fuss. Sure. And most of the time, he would do these things, and you wouldn't be able to see him, so you'd just see cupboards opening and closing and lights flicking on and off and just hear weird footsteps that no one is actually making. One guest at the B&B said that she glanced in the mirror and saw a man standing behind her wearing a keeper's hat. But when she turned around, there was no one there. What they so, even say? It was Willem Dafoe naked. It's Willem Dafoe, and the keeper's hat is on his giant floppy Woo! wiener. He's like, hey! <laughs> <laughs> Other guests that they wake up to find the man standing near the foot of their beds, watching them sleep. Oh but no! But it's not Willem Dafoe's huge floppy wiener. I don't that like would that. Be inappropriate. <laughs> Mostly, there were reports that made it seem like the ghostly keeper was trying his best to help out around a place that he loved, mm. and to make it more like the functioning lighthouse that he remembered. But one night after a lot of noise, innkeeper Linda Gamble was like, I can't fucking take this anymore. And so she like busts into the kitchen because he was just like rattling around the cupboards. And she's like, look, we all got to get a good night's sleep. I get that ghosts don't like change, but things are changing around here. And either you need to get on board or you need to GTFO. (laughs) And since then, Pryor has been much quieter and he's not been spotted as much. Okay. So he got scolded and he's like, Fine. If you okay, don't he's want cooperating. Me, I know where I'm not wanted. <laughs> anyway, he's not the only ghost hanging around the Big Bay Point lighthouse, but mm-hmm. I would argue he is the best one because oh, of he's course. got the best logbook. Oh, absolutely. There, there are at least five other ghosts hanging around the B&B. That's awesome. One is the ghost of a soldier who, in 1952, murdered the owner of the nearby Lumberjack Tavern. So the oh, guy God. was working as the bartender. And it sounds like a really terrible story, but when you read into it, the gu- the soldier who did the murdering was mm-hmm. accusing the bartender of having sexually assaulted his wife. Oh. So then it's like, okay. maybe not the worst murder, and it's kind of like, you know what? You get this one. We'll let this one slide. Uh, yeah, I'll... This I'll look the other okay. way. Yeah. And then he probably just, like, moved over to the lighthouse because in ni- in the 1950s, it was probably abandoned. So mm-hmm. maybe this like, guy, like, holed up in there for a little bit or who knows. Yeah. His ghost ended up there. So now he hangs around. The other ghosts are kind of a mystery. We don't know mm-hmm. who they are. Most speculation thinks that they're probably either people who shipwrecked mm-hmm. or uh, one might be a woman who was murdered in the 1950s during the time the lighthouse was abandoned. But there's sure. no historical record of a murder taking place that matches that description like no woman has ever been murdered there mm-hmm. but for the most part they just think that like probably shipwrecked people are coming and hanging out the lighthouse because it's a place mm. they feel safe because it was supposed to keep them safe when they shipwrecked Interesting. and that's the big bay point lighthouse i love it i want to go stay there <laughs> super bitchy william pyre if you go stay there if you are in michigan and you are able to get up there to the up Please try to talk to William Pryor and please tell him we love him and he should write more logbook entries because, my God, he was a spicy mofo. (laughs) (laughs) He's great. 
I love him. Every, ed- like, there there are a bunch of his entries online. I cherry-picked some of the best stuff. Yeah. But every, se- even the ones where he's, like, being nice about it, he's like, I mean, I guess he does work and is helpful, I guess. Just a prolific <laughs> bitch. He, I love, love it. I love it. <laughs> So that has been Spoop Hour on yeah. Lighthouses. Lighthouses. They're spooky. They're spooky. They're haunted. We like them. They've got floppy wieners in them. Oh, God. Who's to say? <laughs> Who's to say? It's got waving dead bodies being like, hi, guys, make Whoa, 18 movies hello. about me. Does the I can cut this part if it's a spoiler. In the lighthouse, does that happen? Do they, like, strap a dead body to the, the like, get banister? In, in the, 20, the 2016, 2016 version is, like, explicitly about Thomas that, Smalls and Griffith. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not Thomas Smalls. Thomas Tr- Howell Th- and the Thomas. Thomases, yeah. yeah Griffith yeah, yeah. and, yeah. The 2019 one is different characters. Okay. But, but it's, like, loosely based on the idea of, like, two lighthouse keepers going crazy and killing each other. So. I will say, William Pryor just had a very healthy Kobe mechanism where instead of committing murders, he just wrote a bunch of shit in his diary, yeah. which happened healthy. to be the official logbook of the like lighthouse. Pryor. Yeah, if you write the sad feeling down in your journal, journal, and you, you move about, on, and then you just like close it, and then you have a good day, and then the next day you, you come and you're like, "Well, journal, I'm back on the bullshit." It's it's <laughs> writing as therapy. <laughs> yes, yeah. and William Pryor was great at it. He was great at it. So respect to our original diary having king yep and respect to lighthouses as always find us on the internet at spoop hour on twitter and instagram yeah email us at spoop yes. hour at gmail.com we, we have need listener story stories yeah send us one yes please yes you we you love who, stories who, you, you were sitting the... there thinking i think i've been to a haunted lighthouse you have tell email us. us about it you've been on ghost tour tell us about cool. it Cool. which one did you like it was it bad you played with dowsing rods what's up visit a cemetery lately Cool. Do anything fun during Halloween season? Tell us. Tell us. Tell us. Tell us. Tell us. Oh my god, there's a wiener behind you. Ah! I'm going to cut this out of the episode. This is just me talking to you. Um, sorry, Editor Courtney, but suck a dick. Um, Editor Courtney, you're beautiful and you're a goddess and you're so good at what you do. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway. Even when your brain is it's melting. It's not melting anymore. It's just the aftermath of being melted. I'm Post trying melt. to like put it back in the jello mold. And <laughs> it's like not firmly set yet. So everything, like all the marshmallows mm. have just gone straight to the bottom. So I'm like trying to scoop them back up to where they should be and then like freeze it so that they'll stay put. Anyway, that's what my brain's doing. 